0: Well, hello, GBC. How's everybody doing today? Yeah, great. Kids, this is your last full Sunday with us in service. Is everybody ready for the start of school, whatever school is going to look like for you? Yes? Wow. Well done, Paxton. You've been practicing raising. Yes, all right. I see some excitement on the faces as I look out, and I see some foreboding, a mix of everything in between. So great to be together today. If you haven't already done so, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians, as Jordan referred to earlier. Today is our first Sunday, as we're going to be in Colossians from now until about Thanksgiving, and I cannot wait for us as a church family to be in the book of Colossians together and what God has for us. I don't know about you, but for me, before I start something... I kind of have to have the big picture in mind, right? The context of why am I doing what I'm doing? That can be true for those of you who maybe go backpacking. You need to have a general sense of kind of your route before you just start out. It can also be true before maybe you start building a piece of furniture. You kind of need to know the final picture, the big picture context. Why am I taking these steps? except when it's Ikea furniture. Can we all agree on that? Carrie could share many stories that no matter how many times I look at the directions, no matter how many pictures I see what I'm trying to build, I fail each and every time. But other than Ikea furniture, right, we need to know kind of the big picture context. So before we dive in and actually start the book of Colossians, I just want to make sure that we're all grounded on the book itself to give us some placeholders before we begin And there's a lot that could be said about the book, and probably some of you in this room already are thinking of these things. But we know the book of Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul, right? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it was written as a letter to Christians to the church in a city of Colossae, which was now what's in modern-day Turkey, right? So kind of have that in your mind. That's the setting. And then it appears, the book of Colossians, that Paul actually wrote it while he's in prison in Rome, right? And just a little bit later, he's going to be martyred for worshiping Jesus outside the city of Rome. So this book we're going to enjoy together was written from a jail cell, in essence. And that this means that the book was written, for those of you that are really familiar with your Bible, think Acts 27 and 28. That's the time that the book of Colossians was written, And then as we're going to see in our time together, the drumbeat over and over again in this book is the supremacy of Jesus in all things. That's going to be over and over and over again. And when I say all things, I really mean all things. And we're going to see that from Colossians. And Paul's going to do this in just four really brief chapters. He's going to prove and demonstrate and display for us Jesus really is this good, this gracious, this great. We're going to see from this book that all those who have Jesus really have everything you need. That there's nothing you can add to the gospel to get something more. There's nothing you can subtract from the gospel. And if you add or subtract from it, you don't have the gospel. And that's what we're gonna see from the book of Colossians here. We're gonna see also that that can kind of sound like pie in the sky type of stuff, right? Okay, that sounds like a truth. I like check the box that I heard in a class. But we're gonna see throughout the book the supremacy of Jesus in all things. It means it has an impact in our day-to-day lives. For those of us that are married, in relationships, that have a job, in parenting, The supremacy of Jesus impacts and informs all of it. So it's kind of the summary, the big picture context of where we're going in the book. And then a core passage I want us to have in our mind every time we gather between now and November 20th, which will be our last Sunday in Colossians, I want you to have chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 in mind. I'm going to read this for you. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That captures the essence, the drumbeat of the book, that the gospel is not something we move on from. We actually walk in it to live the Christian life as we abound in thanksgiving. Okay, so that's kind of Colossians, okay? And as we walk through the book together, I think we're going to see that we need this truth that Jesus really is the supreme, we need this reminder just like the original audience did. Okay, There's not a big gap between the Christians that were in Colossae and those of us who are here in Gresham, Oregon in 2022. We need to, we have to be reminded of the supremacy of Jesus. Because if we're being really honest, and we say this a lot at GBC because we mean it, we want to be an honest church. That's our culture. If we're being honest, wouldn't we all agree that each of us are prone to forget, prone to drift from the supremacy of Jesus? And often it's not like you just wake up one morning and you're here and you started out here. That drift is slow, it's incremental, it's like a slow tire leak, the air goes out all of a sudden you have a flat tire. We have to be reminded of the supremacy of Jesus because we drift from it again if we're being honest. So the supremacy of Jesus, again, you heard it from Jordan, hear it from me, hear it from every brother that's going to stand up here and preach from this book. We are so excited to be in the book of Colossians as a church, and I would ask you to be praying that the supremacy of Jesus, God uses our time in Colossians to like tattoo it on our eyeballs, okay, and just plant it deep, deep within our hearts. This book should do something to us. It's like what Charles Spurgeon once said, and I think there's a slide for this quote. Listen to this. We write Jesus's name upon our banner, for it is hell's terror, heaven's delight, and earth's hope. It's all about the supremacy of Jesus, and that's what we're going to see in Colossians together. All right, it's going to take us deeper into the depths of the gospel because, again, the gospel isn't something you graduate from. It's something that the roots of your life grow deeper and deeper into, and we're going to see that over and over again together in Colossians. All right, so before we actually start, I'm going to throw out a challenge to you, and this challenge is not for kids because you guys pummeled Anthony Anthony and I with water balloons last week. Great job. Did everybody notice Anthony wore like a helmet and a Marshawn Lynch jersey just to get his mindset right? That was pretty awesome, but this is not a challenge for kids. This is a challenge for kids if you want, but more for the adults in the room. As we are in the book of Colossians from now through November 20th, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you with this. Read the book of Colossians 40 times in one sitting from chapter 1 through chapter 4. It's four short chapters. It would take you in one sitting to read the book probably about 15 or 20 minutes. I want to challenge you from today through November 20th, read it 40 times. And the reason I'm commending that to you is not like as a um, legalistic type thing. I'm commending it to you because God has used that approach to being in God's word in huge ways in my life. And I want us to be thinking about Colossians. When we gather each week, we're going to hear it preached. How awesome would it be if we're feeding on the book throughout the week every time? So it's a 40-time challenge. I did the math. I'm not a math guy, but I did the math. It's 77 days from today through November 20th. So that means basically you have to read the book of Colossians every other day for 15 minutes. Come on, right? We can do this. So 40 times... Read Colossians between now and November 20th, and as you're reading it, like just be one another in each other with the amazing beauty and truth of Colossians. So I hope you accept my challenge. It's delivered in grace, because as we're in Colossians, man, how can you not want to do this? It's amazing. So 40 times between now and November 20th. All right, I love seeing the Bibles open in front of us. Before we dive into chapter one, let's pray, and then we're going to jump into chapter one together. So please bow your head and pray with me. Father God, we need you today. I pray that you will calm and center any anxious hearts in this room, any distracted minds. Lord, you know everything each of us brought into this gathering today. Lord, direct our gaze on you and the supremacy of Jesus in all things. Father, we need to hear from you today. Give us hearts to confess, repent, and believe. Open your word to us and open us to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so Colossians 1, verses 1 through 14, follow along. I'm going to read it aloud for us. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We're going to see three movements in our text today. So first, in verses 1 through 8, we're going to look at gospel growth. Then the second section, verses 9 through the first part of verse 12, we're going to see gospel prayer. And then the third movement in our text from verse 12 through verse 14 is gospel power. So first, gospel growth. Put your finger on the text in front of you and look at verse 3. Notice it. What's it say? Paul is thanking God when he prays for these believers in Colossae because of their faith in Christ Jesus and because of the love they have for all the saints. And then why is this? This isn't just a comment he makes and moves on from. There's a reason why, there's a foundation to this. And there's two of them. And the first reason why is because of their hope, right? Notice that, the hope that's laid up for them in heaven. And then the second reason why is because the nature of this hope What undergirds this hope, that it's growing and increasing and advancing and bearing fruit. So the root of their hope is this gospel. And then verse 6 says, how does it describe this gospel? It's bearing fruit and increasing. That's a lot to absorb in a few short verses. So as I was thinking about this, okay, what's maybe like a picture or illustration to kind of help us think about this? in a helpful kind of way. So it's not a perfect one for one, but as I was thinking about this, here's what came to mind. Uh, Maybe there's somebody in this room that knows this, probably Jordan, because he's the master of all trivia facts. Who can tell me what the largest tree system is in the world? Anybody know that off the top of their head? No? I'm seeing head nods. Okay, yo, Peter, well done. It's the pando tree, which sounds so cool, right? So pando is the scientific name for the largest organism on earth. And this is so cool. Listen to this. It's one giant forest of like over 45,000 trees that's actually the same root system. So it's all one huge organism, over 45,000 trees, millions of leaves, but it's one united root system for the same living organism. Like, that's so cool. There's really one root for this huge growing, increasing, advancing, alive thing, this pando tree that's in Utah. I've never seen it. I don't know if any of you have. It'd be so cool to see that. And so when we're talking about this hope and this gospel that's increasing and growing, it's kind of like this huge forest that's really one root system under the surface. And the reason why is because this hope that's laid up in heaven is rooted in the gospel, and this gospel, its very nature, the very center, the core of it, it's increasing and growing and advancing and bearing fruit. And then we can't miss this hope in verse 5. Okay, wow, this hope laid up in heaven, this gospel that's increasing. We, we just can't miss this. This hope is a certain kind of hope. So what I mean by that, it's not like maybe after church, some of you are thinking right now, man, after church, I hope we have tacos for lunch, right? Or maybe some of you are thinking, I hope my first week of school goes really well. Or like Carrie hopes, I hope Mike finally gets the grocery list right at the store because I always mess that up. That's not the kind of hope we're talking about here. There's this hope here, and what it really means, it means a profound certainty, a certain hope that's laid up for the Christian in heaven. And then again, why is this hope so certain? I just want to see, have us see the connections here between this hope and this gospel. It's so certain Because this certain hope is rooted in the gospel, that's what? What's your text say? It's growing. It's bearing fruit. It's alive. It's advancing, right? And where is it advancing? He's saying it's advancing in Christians and the whole world, the ESV says in front of you. Wow, the gospel is advancing and growing in us and in the whole world. And so that idea of bearing fruit, of growing, advancing, increasing, does that remind you of something? Because it should. It echoes from somewhere. And it echoes from the be- very beginning of the story, the very beginning of your Bible back in Genesis 1, right? There should be a slide. Genesis 1.28, God creates... Adam and Eve are created, and then God gives this mandate to his creatures. He says in Genesis 1:28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. So God tells the first Adam to be fruitful, and increase, and multiply, and grow, and advance, and fill the earth. So God gives Adam this mandate. But then, a lot of us in this room know the story, right? What happens? Adam fails. Genesis 3, he sins, and the curse of sin is what fills the earth. So do you see how Paul is starting this letter, what he's doing here, talking about the gospel? God's word is showing us that what the first Adam was incapable of doing and failed at doing, Jesus Christ is the second Adam. And he does this perfectly. And how does he do it? Through the gospel. What has been left unfulfilled by the first Adam, Jesus as the second Adam does perfectly as the true and better Adam through the gospel. Wow, this amazing start of the book of Colossians. Remember the supremacy of Jesus, it just has so many layers to it. This hope here, again, it's a profound certainty that's laid up for us in heaven because of this growing, advancing gospel that's advancing in God's people and through God's people. Wow. So again, the book of Colossians, amazing. It's showing us the supremacy of Jesus in a multitude of ways. And one way it's going to show us over and over again is Jesus Christ is the hero of the Bible. That everything points to him, that he is the true and better, that he is the fulfillment. So he is supreme. That's what's happening here at the beginning of our book. And then just think about again, we shared it, you know, reflected on it briefly at the beginning. Where was this letter written? It was written from jail, from prison. I don't know what Paul's cell looked like. I don't know if any of you do either. None of us were there, but it probably wasn't like a resort right? He wrote this, these amazing truths about the supremacy of Jesus from a place of persecution. And he writes it to a people in Colossae who are going to be persecuted and who are struggling to hold fast to the gospel. That's the reason why this book is written. And so with that as backdrop, it's just so important that we're seeing Jesus Christ is supreme in this kind of way, growing, advancing through the gospel. Well, think about it. Why does Paul focus on the supremacy of Jesus? That's his focus, the drumbeat throughout the book. And the reason why is because Christians, because the church, we're always in fearful times. No matter when you look at church history, we're not alone, okay? And we always need to focus, not to miss the supremacy of Jesus. Whether you're in a Roman prison like Paul, whether you're this church in Colossae in what's now modern-day Turkey, or whether you're Gresham Bible Church in 2022, we all need to be reminded of the supremacy of Jesus. Because only that, the supremacy, the gospel, addresses our deepest need, no matter our context, no matter our cultural moment. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, I think a lot of you in the same room too, right? One of my favorites. He said it like this. He said, in such a fearful world, we need a fearless church. Paul knew that. Paul knew it from prison to these group of Christians he's writing to. And what did he focus on? This kind of supremacy of Jesus from the gospel that's increasing, growing, advancing, bearing fruit. So bottom line, only the supremacy of Jesus makes a fearless church because only the supremacy of Jesus gives a certain hope and fuels the advancement of the gospel. So that's kind of the tone that's happening here in the book. And then what do we do with this truth? That's a strong start to the book of Colossians. What do we do? That takes us to our second movement today, and that's going to be in verses 9 through 12, and we're going to look at gospel prayer. So look down at the verses in front of you, starting in verse 9. How's verse 9 start? What's it say? And so... So in view of this certain hope and the growing, increasing advancement of the gospel, the response is, and so, we pray for you. The we being Paul and Timothy, we pray for you. So a key ingredient to the advancement of the gospel in us as Christians and through us as Christians to the whole world is prayer. We can't escape that here in Colossians 1, right? The response here to the advancement of the gospel What does Paul not do? He's like, this gospel is growing, advancing in us to the whole world. He doesn't give, so therefore, here's all these new ministry strategies. He doesn't say, here's this amazing, powerful vision statement or list of action items or do your life better kind of tips. That's not what he does. He says, and so because of this, we pray for you. So the gospel advances in us and through us through prayer right? Because God graciously is in control, is sovereign over the ends as well as the means, and his means of the gospel advancing is his people praying. Like, wow, Colossians is amazing here. And notice the grace and truth that's the focus of Paul's gospel-infused prayer. Just, just listen. I'm going to read it for you. Just listen to what his prayer sounds like, to what it touches on. Starting in verse 9, this is Paul's prayer. giving thanks to the father. So Paul effectively here, he's praying that their gospel knowledge empowers gospel lives. He's praying that their gospel root will bring about gospel fruit in and through them. Okay, that's, that's the essence of what Paul is praying here. And then notice again the end of verse 10. Sounds familiar, not just from the beginning of the Bible, but now within our same text. It rings exactly, it sounds exactly like verse 6. It's the same wording, this bearing fruit and increasing. So the gospel's doing that, and as the gospel's doing that inside of them, it's making God's people bear fruit and increase because the gospel in us makes us a gospel people. So the gospel advances In us, and then through us, it advances to the world. What an amazing start to the book of Colossians about the supremacy of Jesus. It's just a beautiful and powerful prayer. Probably a lot of you know this is one of the most, um, you know, favorite and um, well picked passages of scripture that people love to pray for one another. And there's a reason why it has gospel brushstrokes all over it. And so I want us to pause here for a minute. As we've been hearing the last few weeks, Jordan announced just a few minutes ago, we are entering into this next week to a church-wide week of prayer, and we are going to be praying Colossians 1, 1 through 14 together. And this is going to help us lean in to not just being hearers of the word at JBC, but doers of the word. So let's just not talk about prayer. We want to cultivate a culture in our church of actual real prayer. So what this means later today, you're going to be getting an email. Um, that tees up the week of prayer. And at the bottom of the email, scroll down, there's an attachment with the prayer guide. And it's just going to help ground us and unify us in praying through Colossians 1, 1 through 14, together as brothers and sisters in Christ this week. Some different themes. And then Jordan shared, there'll be three different corporate prayer gatherings. I get, you could be saying, yeah, Mike, that sounds really good. Do you know this is the first week of school? Do you know this is Labor Day? I do. But I also know we're starting the book of Colossians. I also know a lot of us in this room are feeling really stretched thin because of a multitude of reasons. I also know GBC has been through a tremendous amount of change over these past few months. Can we all agree on that? So can we also agree that it would probably be good and healthy for us to not run from prayer and say, ah, this isn't a good time. No, there's no better time. And so I want to encourage you this week to be intentional, to spend time in prayer with the Lord. Use the prayer guide. It'll help you. And don't just do it in isolation. Intentionally reach out to some others at GBC and pray together and pray Colossians 1. Ground your prayer in these amazing verses in verses 1 through 14, okay? So week of prayer as a church starts tomorrow. You'll get the prayer guide later today in an email. And then one more thing I just want to Um, encourage us as a church. And this has been such an encouragement to me. I love how this has just happened like grassroots, bubbled up in an organic kind of way from our church. So there is a pre-service prayer time some ladies in our church are doing. So ladies, if that's something that interests you, you want to learn to grow in prayer, to be praying for GBC before we gather. Uh, For now, that group meets in the teacher's lounge, which, which is stage left on the other side of those curtains. If you have any questions, please see Jan Wells or Barb Estes. I love that we want to be a praying church, and those women gather, and they pray for us in this moment as we hear God's word and as we worship together. So when we hear prayer, it's easy as Christians, all of us are like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I should probably pray. And? So we want to give each other Helpful ways to grow and cultivate that in our life because we really want to be a church, need to be a church where prayer is indispensable. Okay, so that's kind of the middle part gospel prayer. Let's not just have it be one ear and out the other. Let's actually be about what Colossians 1 is showing us here. So, so far we've seen gospel growth in the first section. We just looked at gospel prayer, and this brings us to our last and final point gospel power. That's in verses 12 through 14. And again, put your finger on the text. I want you to see what the word of God says because God is faithful to accomplish his purposes through his word. Whoever's preaching up here in Colossians is only an instrument. God's word through God's spirit does the work. So put your finger on the text and look at God's word. What's it say, starting in verse 12? Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In three short verses, it's packed full of gospel treasures of gospel power. Just notice the tense of these action words. Who is doing the action? It's God, isn't it? It's God that's doing the action here in verses 12 through 14. And what has God done and doing for those whose faith is in Christ Jesus? He has, just look at these amazing verses, God has qualified you. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us to a different kingdom entirely to the kingdom of his beloved son to the kingdom of jesus in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins verses 12 through 14 here's what it's like it's like an all you can eat buffet but not a cheap 999 all you can eat buffet it's an all you can eat buffet at the best restaurant you've ever been to it's an all all you can eat buffet at a five star restaurant of just gospel truth and reality here in verses 12 through 14. And then notice, like, yeah, yeah, that's great. Notice the timestamp on these gospel truths, these gospel powers here. When are these things true for us? Look at verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Not might deliver us, not maybe will deliver us someday, no god sovereign god has delivered us there's a nowness to this gospel here it's amazing what colossians is showing us and pointing us to if you're in Christ Jesus you're delivered from the domain of darkness right now not tomorrow not next year right now you're delivered from the domain of darkness And the reason why is because this deliverance is finished because it's based on the finished work of Christ Jesus. Through the gospel, you've been rescued from the kingdom of your sin and the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of Jesus. And then when God does this kind of delivering, this type of transferring, there's no returns. There's no return policy on this delivering and this transferring, okay? It's not like you have a certain amount of time to return whatever you bought at Costco. That's not what God is doing here. This transferring and delivering, it's final, it's once for all time, because God is the one who's doing the work here. And this deliverance, it has this like sense or flavor or taste to it that's already and not yet, doesn't it? We're delivered from the power of sin, from the domain of darkness now, And then someday, someday, we'll be fully delivered from the very presence of sin because of the hope laid up for us in heaven. That is what's happening here at the beginning of this amazing book of Colossians. For those who've placed their faith in Christ Jesus, God's deliverance for you, for us, is certain. We have God's word on it right here in Colossians 1. It's like this certain hope we saw in verse 6. So this certain hope, we're going to see this play out. This is the first message from Colossians. I kind of want to tee up the book too. We're going to see this deliverance gives us a new identity as God's people. And we're going to see that over and over again in the book of Colossians. The implications of this deliverance, it's going to play out through the rest of the book. And we're going to see in essence, the Christian life is just to be a life of just being who you already are. Who are you? You're delivered. You're transferred. So be who you are. Be your identity as a Christ follower. That's what we're going to see throughout the book. That's a lot. These verses, Eric and I were talking before service, like, man, it'd be really cool if we could have done like five sermons on just these verses and what Eric's going to preach next week. But here we are. So I just want us to press pause as I've been um, just enjoying, delighting, um, worshiping through these verses this week. I wonder how this truth of god delivering you how it sits on you right now how does it feel to you this morning is that a reality if you're being really honest that you've thought about much this week do you think about you through christ jesus for those who worship jesus you've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of jesus is that something that's been on your mind and on your heart is that a reality that you would say or those close to you would say, yeah, they're living out of that reality of being delivered. Or again, if we're being honest and we're an honest church, does the reality of God's deliverance feel far off to you? Does it feel distant from what you're going through from your day-to-day life? Maybe it even feels kind of slippery. It's not something you can just grasp onto and hold to. It feels slippery to you, like, like you're trying to like nail a piece of jello to the wall, right? That's just, oh, that God's deliverance. I just want to live into it, but I can't. And if that's you this morning, because that's me, if that's you, I just want us to consider maybe why that might be. And maybe it's because in your heart of hearts, you really feel like this deliverance is based on you. That it's based on how you are performing in a religious kind of way or how you're feeling rather than what God has done for you through Jesus. Maybe this is a kind of deliverance that it just ebbs and flows based on the week, depending on how you're doing or how you're feeling. But this kind of deliverance we're seeing here in Colossians This is grounded in God's character. It has a once-for-all time-ness to it. It's a now-ness to it that's not really dependent on us. It's dependent on the perfect work of Jesus. So if that's you, and that's been me, if that's you, well, that's the Colossians too. That's why Paul is writing this to Colossians, why we get to enjoy this together. Paul was a gospel practitioner, and he addressed the needs of the Christians in Colossae, And their struggles, and how does he do that? Through the supremacy of Jesus and the sufficiency of the gospel. For whatever you're wrestling through, whatever maybe the doubts are in your heart of hearts, whatever's making you fearful, what we need is the supremacy of Jesus. The reality that we've been delivered and transferred to the kingdom of Jesus. And then why is this, we're going to see this play out, why is this the argument of Colossians? And how can we be certain that this hope is real? This deliverance is real. It's something you can make your life on. And the reason why is because of the last verse, verse 14. It's because of this one amazing, beautiful word you will be praising Jesus for 10 million years from now. It's because of redemption. Redemption is the idea, kids, listen to this. Redemption is the idea of being released on payment of ransom, Or it's the the action of like buying something back, of purchasing something back and clearing a debt. So it could be practically in our day and age, could be you go to Fred Meyer and you redeem a coupon. There's that word redeem. It could be like maybe a movie you watch and hostages are redeemed by paying a ransom. Okay? That's the essence, the core idea of what redeem means, what redemption is. But the redemption we're seeing here that's pointing to the supremacy of Jesus is nothing like that. The redemption Jesus offers is like no other redemption this world can give because Jesus pays our debt and he delivers us. And what does he deliver us to? Verse six, the hope that's laid up for us in heaven. And that hope is none other than Jesus himself. So Jesus ransoms us, he redeems us at great cost, and then he transfers us, he delivers us to what? To himself. Redemption is amazing, and you can bank your life on the deliverance and being transferred to his kingdom because of redemption. When you think about it, the cross of Jesus is where sinners are redeemed from sin, and the righteous judgment and wrath and justice of a holy God. And Jesus paid the cost of our sin, and then he brings us into his kingdom. That's what Colossians 1 through 14 is pointing us to here. Redemption, that word is so important. Redemption is the proof of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and maybe you don't know Jesus. I'm really glad you're here. There's no better place in church to explore who Jesus is. Or maybe you're a Christian who's just been going through a really hard time and you're doubting the goodness of God. The goodness of God, the supremacy of Jesus, is proven at the cross for all time. And again, the supremacy of Jesus, I don't want us to miss this because of redemption and that connection. It's a costly type of supremacy. It's a sacrificial type of supremacy. It's a supremacy that displays the goodness, the grace, the greatness, and the glory of God. There's no other deliverance or redemption like this. The supremacy of Jesus just oozes out of Colossians. It's everywhere, and that's what we're seeing here to even start the book. And again, the supremacy of Jesus, if you don't hear anything else from me today as we're going to move to a close, the supremacy of Jesus, which is the theme of Colossians, is most clearly seen at the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus is supreme above all things. And why can you trust that? Why can you believe that? Because of the cross. And because of that, because of what we've seen here in Colossians 1 in our verses, it's not in us Or our power to redeem ourselves. How's our passage in in verse 14? The forgiveness of sins. It's because of the perfect work of Jesus Christ. It's only found in him. It's not on us to redeem ourselves. It's not in our religious performance. It's not in any philosophy or human tradition. It's not in anything we bring to the table. It's not in our striving. It's not in anything you add to the gospel or take away from the gospel. Redemption is only found, the forgiveness of your sins is only found in Jesus. So again, redemption, how our verses close, it proves the supremacy of Jesus because only Jesus can forgive sin and free us forever forever from our guilt and shame. It's that hope we have laid up for us in heaven. And only this kind of redemption and this kind of supremacy will satisfy the deepest needs of your heart. There's a quote by A.W. Tozer that I think captures this. I want to read it for us, and then we're going to close. Tozer says this, sins that you thought were absolved by religion will always come back to haunt you only the redeemer and savior jesus christ can forgive and pardon and free from guilt and the sins he has forgiven will never come back to haunt you as a child of god never while the world stands (laughs) wow that's the kind of redemption we have in our supreme savior jesus christ so if you're here today and if you're being honest, you still have sins that haunt you, that come back to haunt you, let me encourage you, in view of what we've seen from Colossians 1 verses 1 through 14 in the supremacy of Jesus, to confess and repent and come to Jesus and believe in Him for the forgiveness of your sins. Trust in the all-sufficiency and supreme supremacy of Jesus Christ. Only through the gospel, we're going to see this over and again through Colossians, and I pray we never, ever bore of this. Only through the gospel will you know the kind of life in Jesus that will satisfy you forever, that hope that's laid up for you in heaven because of the gospel. So in our passage today, we've seen the supremacy of Jesus through those three things, right? Haven't we? Through gospel growth, gospel prayer, and gospel power. So as we pray this week as a church, be praying, be praising God, giving thanks to him for all he is and all he's done through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me close us in prayer. Father, we praise you for the gospel. We praise you for the fullness and the glory and the wonder and the truth of the gospel, that it is bearing fruit and increasing in us and in the whole world. Lord, if there are any here today who haven't yet trusted in Jesus, I pray that you will draw them to yourself today by your Spirit. May they know the redemption that only comes through Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray you will grow us as a church deeper and deeper into your word and into your ways. May we be a gospel people and may we live in view of the certain hope we have in you. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.